Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Alexis Vaya mano y el remate a gol de Lacazette. 1-0 Arsenal, Lacazette. Marca el delantero francés. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too. How lovely to say that again. It is. Uh, do you know who it's not a goodly morning for? Uh, Tony Pulis? Tony Pulis, exactly. You're right. It's not a good morning for Tony Pulis. He was very, very angry last night after the game, during the press conference, in his television interviews, his media interviews, his interview for West Brom TV, whatever that might be. And I actually have an exclusive clip here of Tony Pulis's reaction uh, to the first question he was asked in that press conference. <laughs> So, you know, you can see he, he's really not taking it very well. Well, that's it. And I think if it's not a goodly morning for t Tony Pulis, I think, you know, by necessity, it is a goodly morning for us, right? I think that's how it works. It all balances out. Absolutely. It's nature. It's the circle of life. That's mm. that's just what it is. And, uh, you know, I enjoy that. I enjoy when opposition managers who have a game plan, who come to the Emirates, and sit deep, they stay organised, they're a bit physical, they kick our players around a little bit, and they're furious. And not just because they lost the game, but because they've got they've got some actual justification for their fury. I mean, that's what makes it even better, isn't it? The fact that he is absolutely 100% right to be really <laughs> angry uh, at some of the stuff that went on in that game, particularly, obviously, the uh, the penalty incident. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to be honest, I think he's slightly barking up the wrong tree with his whole Alexis diving thing. I mean, it did look like Alexis went to ground very easily, but that wasn't actually the free kick from which we scored. So mm. I'm not sure how relevant that was to the result of the game, but the sending off, uh, sorry, the, the the potential penalty, <laughs> I don't know, who knows, maybe it would have been a sending off. He was, he was uh, calling for a red card, in fairness. He said after the game, it should have been a red card from Mustafi. Right, well, there you go. So, I mean, it was certainly should have been a spot kick. Uh, and, yeah, fantastic to see that not pan out for him. I mean, he was fuming. I don't know if you saw him on Sky when he was like, I'm not going to comment. I leave it to you, the pundits. I know you will tell the truth. He, he, he uh, This could send him <laughs> over the edge, I think. He's kind of got that mad glint in his eye of a sort of conspiracy theorist who believes he's right at the exclusion of all others. Hopefully it does. Hopefully it does send him completely insane. That would be, uh, that would be an even more amusing uh, outcome from this particular game. And <laughs> look, you know, he was right. It's a penalty. It should have been a penalty. We'll touch on it more in a minute. But I think it's also fair to say that during that first half, there were a couple of moments when Arsenal could have had a penalty. I think Monreal, when he went through on goal, was very subtly uh, pulled back as he tried to make contact with the ball. And then there was one on Alexis Sanchez. I think it was from a corner when the ball was floated over towards the back post and like you, you couldn't miss it. The guy was pulling his shirt. Uh, it was it was a penalty. So you know there was um, there was some yin and yang to the whole thing. But I think when you're away from home, when you're playing a team like Arsenal with a record like Tony Pulis is at the Emirates, he's never won a game at the Emirates. When after about seven or eight minutes, your striker is absolutely and one hundred percent cleaned out in the box by an Arsenal defender, you want the referee to point to the spot. You don't want an advantage, even if they came close to scoring from that advantage. Yeah, I mean, what did you actually make of that decision to play advantage? I, I can't... For it to work, surely the, ref, the referee must believe, well, this shooting opportunity that he has here on the left-hand side of the box, having Termostafi and almost off his feet, losing his balance, I deem that a better opportunity 
than a penalty kick, right? That must be the equation that he's weighing up when he when he makes that call. Yeah, but I, and I don't know how he came to that conclusion because I don't know no. how a, <laughs> I don't know how a striker who has been taken off his feet is is getting back up is slightly off balance is under pressure. Uh, and uh, and did get a good shot away. I don't know how that's an ad- uh, more of an advantage than a penalty kick. I really don't. It was a bizarre piece of refereeing. Had it happened to us, had one of our players been taken out in the box and he played on and we'd taken a shot which the goalkeeper had saved, I would be furious. I would be absolutely furious at the at the referee for that. And you know, I think he got it. I think he got it very wrong. I think we were lucky that he got it wrong as well. We were lucky, but we also owed a good deal to Petr Cech, who I thought made a really good save, mm. actually, in that circumstance. And the other thing I'd say is that they probably should have scored on the follow-up. I mean, Tony Pulis has pointed fingers at everyone except his own players. And in that first half particularly, they had some some really good opportunities and probably ought to have scored, regardless of the referee. Who was the guy following up? I'm just watching the incident here. Oh, there's... Oh, good save. It comes back off the post. Is it? It's Livermore. It's Livermore who had just, fantastic news. Yes, he had the whole goal to aim for, and now the West Brom players are going to the referee, going, "What the fuck? What, what was that? You fucking baldy prick! You stupid!" Mm. I mean, in fairness, I'm just watching it again on the replay here. Ball down the side. Here goes Rodriguez into the box. There goes Mustafi. Oh, you fucking stay in your feet, you mad cunt! Does and, he come from out of the frame, Mustafi? No, he's <laughs> he's, like, sort of, he's running alongside him, but you know. Oh, my God. What is he doing? I mean, I can't believe that defending. I really can't. It is absurd. It's ridiculous defending from Mustafi. You know, he's gone off his feet. Like, if he doesn't get the man, he's been absolutely sold down the river by Rodriguez, who pulls the ball back in and who might have scored had he not been off balance and had to get up. It's it's terrible from Mustafi. There's no other way to put it. It's absolutely yeah. dreadful defending from somebody who, who really should know better, but apparently does not seem to know better when it comes to staying on his feet. He's got a big problem there. I think he's he may have a disease. Some sort of inner ear problem, potentially, that's well, affecting his balance. He's a slideaholic, James. He needs to go to uh, Sliders Anonymous because he just can't help himself. He knows. It was a habit he forged as a child in he, playgrounds. Exactly. He must know. Oh, I better stay. I mean, it's one of the things, it's one of the fundamentals that you're taught as a defender at every single level of the game is stay on your feet because the minute you go to ground, you're out of the game. And Absolutely. I, I, I can't believe that this ongoing issue with Mustafi has not been addressed more than once on the training round because it's 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 something that he does all the time. It's been obvious that he does it. And you know what? When a guy goes in and makes a great sliding tackle, we all love it, right? It's brilliant because, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those last gasp, last ditch things that uh, when it works for you is fantastic because it stops something usually that's very dangerous. But when you do it all the time, it's kind of the way I play FIFA. I slide tackle all the time because, I can, you know, that standing tackle thing is a lot of bollocks. So you go in sliding all over the place and that's why you end up with eight men when you're playing a yeah. game online against some fucking 16-year-old who's doing flicks and tricks and rabanas and Cruyff turns all over the place. You're thinking, you little fucker. But it's my own fault because I was the one who went sliding in. I don't know what Mustafi is thinking. Yeah, I mean, Gary Neville famously said that David Luiz was like a, a PlayStation player, didn't he? But I think it was, he, he meant Mustafi all along. He's really the PlayStation player, sliding in from every possible angle. It is bizarre. I mean, the way he goes in on Rodriguez, he makes Jay Rodriguez look like Hamas Rodriguez. And he, <laughs> he, 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 you know, he, he, you would call it a striker's tackle. Do you know what I mean? You would say, oh, that's a forward defending there, the way he's gone in naively. But the problem is, this guy's our central defender. Um, I thought, I'm not sure about Mustafi at all. I, I, I think he was quite a divisive uh, player after the Chelsea game. I saw some people really praising him, some criticising him. I wasn't convinced at all. And when he did that a few minutes into the game, I mean, I had my head in my hands. I was absolutely certain that the referee was going to award a penalty. Thank God he, he didn't. But I mean, it's an inexplicable decision and one that Mustafi really got away with. Mm. I mean, you can see why Arsene Wenger was, it seems, prepared to let him go if he could get a replacement. That was the situation this summer. He would have let him go if we could have got a replacement. And I think you can see why, because maybe he is being told not to do this, but he just keeps doing it. Maybe he's ignoring all these instructions. I don't know. I mean, I think the rest of his game was generally okay. Um, you know, it wasn't that we had a huge amount to deal with, but he was all right, you know, but there was another 
moment, I think, perhaps when the Monreal clear, clearance off the line. Again, he went sliding in, uh, in in a tackle there around that stage as well. So, you know, I think there's there's, there's a big issue for Arsenal to address there because uh, you won't get that lucky every time. You will get punished. You will get found out if your central defender is has that kind of a flaw that can be exposed. And you can be quite sure that attackers will be looking at Mustafi and the way he plays and thinking, you know what? This guy, we can easily uh, we can easily do him. You know, you just uh, shape to go one way, come back the other way, and uh, one, he's going to go sliding past you, or two, you're going to get a free kick or a penalty in dangerous positions because most of his slides tend to be around the penalty box as well. Yeah, he sort of specially designed it that way yeah. and to make it even more dangerous. I mean, that's the funny thing. We had a big chat last week about why is he playing uh, in the centre of the three. And to be honest, one of the main conclusions from it was, well, when he's in the wide areas, he, he dives in and he gets beat. But, uh, I mean, that has its problems in the middle of the park too, as mm. we saw potentially last night. And, I, I, you know, a lot of people say, is he following instructions? You know, why isn't he listening? Arsene Wenger must be telling him not to do this. I'm sure Arsene Wenger and Steve Bott are telling him not to do that because, you know, they can see what we can see. Mm. Maybe he's just, well, maybe he's just not really good enough to stay on his feet. You know, everyone's got flaws in their game and it seems that this is his, but it's a, it's a very perilous one for Arsenal. And mm. yeah, one that certainly, certainly frightens me every time I see him play at the moment. Yeah, but, you know, on the upside... So, you know, there's that. That's the same noise I make when I see Mustafi go sliding in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, look, we'll, uh, we'll leave Mustafi discussion to one side and uh, head on to the first goal. And I really liked it. It was a very, you know, it's not a spectacular goal, but there was just a lot to like about the way that Lacazette anticipated the possible rebound, was in the right position. You know, we talk about strikers having instincts and being in the right place at the right time. We haven't really had that kind of a penalty box striker for quite a while now, or that that guy who can just be there to finish the rebounds. You uh, mentioned it in the blog today, but Robert Perez was brilliant for that. Absolutely mm. amazing. You know, there'll be a shot, the keeper makes a save, you think, oh no, but Perez is there because he's followed it in, he's, he's anticipated where the ball might go, and he's got a tap in for himself, and I, I enjoy Enjoyed Lacazette's goal for that reason. Yeah, it was a really smart run, actually, especially when you watch it back, the timing of it, staying on side. And he's following in so single-minded. The only thing, really, that can happen uh, with that runny mace is that he can, you know, tap in a rebound. That's the only thing he's hoping for, and it comes off for him. He gambles and he gets the goal. And it was a, a poacher's goal, but that's, I guess, you know, exactly the sort of goal we want from him and he's had a brilliant start at the Emirates I think he's the first Arsenal player to score in three consecutive his first three consecutive home games mm. um, he should have had a goal away from home as well but he was obviously robbed of that one at Stoke he's not played every game so yeah I, I, I was really really pleased for him to get that goal and it was it was an important one really it settled us and gave us an advantage in a first half that was I mean still quite tricky to navigate you know we had a lot of the possession but they actually had probably the better of the chances all in all. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the game, the goal really settled us that much, to be honest. Obviously, it's good to be ahead Maybe and good not. to have that little cushion, but I think when you look back at that first half and how it, how it ended in particular, the last maybe five or ten minutes of the half, West Brom put us under some real pressure and they did have chances, uh, none more so than the one that Jay Rodriguez headed beyond Petr Cech, but out of nowhere, like Billy Wiz, in comes Nacho Monreal to, to clear the ball off the line and you know what? There's there's something amazing about that too, isn't there? It's it almost feels like a goal because you've mm. you've you've in some ways uh, accepted the fact that oh he's going to head it in from there because well you know why wouldn't he? He's a, he's a Premier League player. He's only got the keeper to beat, and he's six yards out with a header. So why wouldn't he score? The ball went past Jack, but then Monreal is there, and that kind of that kind of thing just gives you a gives you a real lift. There's a lot to a lot to enjoy about that, and a lot to enjoy about the way Natural Monreal played in general. Yeah, it was a really good bit of defending. Uh, I like to think that if it had been Mustafi in that position, he just would have gone sliding along the floor, probably underneath the ball, <laughs> and ended up in the back of the net himself. But um, Monreal had a really good game, and that was obviously the standout moment. And it was one of those, I guess like a good goal, it was one of those moments that provoked like gasps and applause from the crowd when they showed it on the big screen on mm. the replay. Because it was a, a really brilliant clearance. And actually, even once he got there, which was impressive enough in himself... It would have been very easy to just 
smash the ball into the roof of the yeah. net. Uh, but he he managed to lift it over the bar. I mean, just what a reliable player he has become in that position. He's shown such adaptability and made himself an absolute first choice central defender ahead of people who've been playing in those positions their whole career you know I I really can't speak highly enough of him and uh, I thought he had a, a terrific game all round to be yeah. honest with yeah very very good and what a what a big moment that was because had we gone in 1-1 at half time you know the the worries the nervousness might have permeated through the team through the crowd a little mm. bit as well so it was important to to keep a clean sheet we have cl- uh, kept another clean sheet it's four clean sheets from our last five games you know we we still have issues i think defensively but that's that's something we can uh, we can work on uh, considering the way the uh, the opening games of the season went and the amount of goals that we conceded there's been an improvement in that regard even if you could say the uh, the defensive side of our game could still use some work and I, I thought what was very interesting was in the second period we were not as careless we weren't as sloppy with possession we didn't concede it in dangerous areas we didn't allow them to turn the ball over and come at us in the second period at all and magically it made them much less threatening I think when you look at this season when you look at the the problems that we've had the goals we've conceded the chances we've conceded on goal I would say that like 75% of them are due to our own carelessness and sloppiness in possession uh, and that when we cut that out, we become instantly more uh, defensively secure. I mean, it, it sounds redundant even to say it, but, you know, these problems are of our own making. They're not necessarily us being sliced open by brilliant attacking play time and time again or an inability to cope with what the opposition are doing. We're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot. Definitely. I mean, in terms of being a bit more solid and, and keeping the ball a bit better in those areas in front of the, the back three, do you think Mohamed Elneny was an important ingredient in, in last night's game? I thought he was good, actually. I thought he was energetic. He was everywhere, in fairness. I, I remember seeing him bombing down the right. I remember seeing him bombing down the left. And he always seemed to be there in the middle uh, alongside Xhaka or or available for a pass from somebody, whether it was Alexis or, or Ramsey uh, from the yeah. wide position. So, yeah. I thought he gave us a bit more um a bit more energy in the center of midfield. I saw people talking about Xhaka's performance and I didn't think he was particularly good last night, but I think he was a bit more careful than he has been. Uh, I checked his passing uh, passing statistics. Uh, that's a bit difficult to say this early in the morning. I checked his passing uh, statistics. Why did I say it twice then? Um and he was at 93% and mm. when you look at some of the previous games, he was in the mid-70s. So he yeah. was a bit more careful, perhaps then a bit less eye-catching. He did look a bit leggy in the first half in particular. A set-piece delivery wasn't that great. But I think on the ball, he was a bit more careful. Um, but I thought El Nenny was quite good. And obviously, we had Aaron Ramsey in the team playing uh, a more advanced role because uh, Mesut Ozil wasn't in the team. What did you think of that decision? Uh, I thought it made some sense. I mean, I, I was thinking back to the Chelsea game and the fact that we seem to benefit there from having a guy in Alex Awobi who was capable of dropping in to help the midfield out when required. I mean, obviously, I know this is a very different fixture, but I thought Ramsey did did well there. I've actually sort of been hoping to see him in one of those positions for a long time. And when, when I thought Alexis Sanchez might leave the club earlier this summer, I wondered if that might be a, a permanent role for Ramsey, maybe playing in a more advanced area. So, yeah, I, I thought he did well enough. And you know what? It means we kept, kept Mazat Ozil... Uh, relatively fresh. I don't know if he'll even go to Borisov, but it certainly means that come Brighton at the weekend, uh, we should have him firing alongside Alexis and Lacazette. We're still waiting, aren't we, to see that trio start a game together? Yeah, we are. We are. And I do wonder if we are investing a little bit too much hope in it, to be honest, because if we're being realistic, I'm not sure it's going to be the trio that is the future of this football club. Um, You know, Alexis and Ozil are obviously top quality players, but... They are more than likely going to leave the club uh, at the end of the season. I don't see any way that we're going to sell them in in January unless there's some way of doing something crazy like uh, bringing in Lamar. But then you have to wonder, are Ozil and Sanchez going to get the moves they want if they're being sold rather than waiting until the summer so they can go into Bosman, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I think there's probably some of that in Arsene Wenger's mind when it comes to his team selections. Is there a way of making the team a little less reliant on those two players Mm -hmm. considering the the, the season? change we're going to have to go through uh, next summer but you know we'll, we'll see how that pans out well 
I, I think bearing that in mind, I actually think that the role we saw Ramsey in last night potentially could be something we see more of maybe this season, but definitely next. Because if we are to lose Alexis Sanchez uh, and Meza Ozil, first of all, we're going to need a couple of players to play in those roles behind the strikers. And he seems like someone who could suit that. And that would also afford you the opportunity maybe to spend next summer recalibrating the central midfield, the two deeper players, yeah. put a more secure platform there. So I can actually see... Ramsey moving into one of those roles maybe in, in the sure. longer term. I mean, I think the thing about Ramsey in that position, for me, what strikes me is the timing of his runs into the box is fantastic. Mm. Uh, there was one moment where Alexis made a brilliant pass to him and he'd made the run beyond the defender. Could have gone over the keeper and, and won a penalty, I think, uh, but stayed on his feet. But the issue you have with Ramsey when he's playing in that advanced role is you need somebody with the ability to pick him out to make yeah. the passes to him, and I don't think we really have that person in the team at the moment. Alexis, maybe, but you're looking at someone like Ozil who could see those runs and who could play those passes. They need to be pinpoint. In some ways, you know, you could you could compare R- Ramsey in that position to Freddie Jumberg, whose yeah. ability to get into the box and run beyond the defenders was superb, but what, what Freddie had was Dennis Bergkamp. The ability of Bergkamp to be able, one, to see what he was doing, the awareness and the vision to see it, but also the ability to play the pass and its precision passing. When we when we look at it like that, it really needs to be absolutely perfect. And I don't think we have anybody in the team right now, maybe Ozil, uh, beyond Ozil rather, who, who can make those passes for Ramsey. But if Ramsey's in that position, then Ozil has to be somewhere else or, or not playing. So I think that's... That's the difficulty the manager has if he's going to plan on using Ramsey in in that more advanced role. So, yeah, I guess as well. Sometimes these midfielders who make these brilliant runs um, have a bit more success when they're coming for even deeper because they can be harder to track. And and Ramsey's been a decent exponent of that in the mm. past. So, yeah, it's it's sort of an interesting cocktail for Arsenal to you know try and uh, get right. But I, I like him. I must say. I mean, I always liked him in on the right in that more advanced role as well because he reminded precisely of Freddie Jumberg. He is so great at those diagonal runs. So mm. we'll see if we, we see him there more often in the coming weeks. All right. Second half was uh, much better from an Arsenal point of view, much more controlled. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember a huge amount of, of chances, but we got the second goal via a penalty. This time, the referee seemed very much inclined to point to the spot. Aaron Ramsey went beyond yum. Yum, yum, yum. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I think it was a penalty. He just barged him out of the way. Uh, Lacazette stepped up. Were you worried about who was going to take it? I, I had this feeling that Alexis was going to maybe try a try a uh, the, the, that we might Power face play. like a, a Cavani Neymar situation there. I didn't, you know, <laughs> I didn't think that, uh, for example, that Lacazette was going to kick up, but it felt to me like Lacazette was the guy who should be taking the penalty. But Alexis, we know how much he wants to make an impact. We know how much he wants to score. Um, he has that measure of seniority. So I, I did wonder if he was going to pick the ball up and have a go, but uh, it was uh, it was Lacazette who took it, and he took it very, very well. It was a really good penalty. It was a really good penalty. I mean, it was funny, wasn't it? When we signed uh, Lacazette, it almost felt like it was being used against him, how good at penalties he is and how many he scored down the years. Um, which I, I can understand a, a bit of hesitancy about the proportion of his goals that have been spot kicks. But, you know, we have not had a really super reliable penalty taker, arguably since Robin Van Persie. So mm. I was very happy to see him put that right in the corner. It was an excellent penalty. I mean, the goalkeeper went the right way and he's a tall, tall keeper and still had no chance. So, yeah, fantastic spot here. Well, I, I think we have had some reliable penalty takers. Cazorla, I know he missed one, I think, but he, he was good uh, when he was on the pitch. Olivier Giroud, a good penalty taker. Yeah, but I think both of those... Mikel Arteta. Mikel Arteta was pretty decent, but I think... That, I don't know. There's, there was something about the way Van Persie took a penalty where I felt... I mean, he actually did miss a couple, I suppose, but I just had a level of confidence in him that I haven't necessarily had about some of his successes. But I feel like Lacazette's got that kind of ice-cold demeanour. You know, it's like you said, he wouldn't have kicked off at Alexis. I feel like he doesn't kick off very much at all. He's so calm uh, on the pitch, and I feel like that... You see that in his finishing. Mm. I really like the way he took this penalty. So, I mean, based on the overall uh, second half, I think we, we more than merited the uh, the three points, the win. We got a clean sheet. Tony Pulis was angry. 
it was a functional, if not quite inspiring win. Yeah, exactly that, exactly that. But as we alluded to earlier, a clean sheet, uh, another win, and as much despair as we all felt after the Liverpool game and the transfer deadline, uh, you, you have to say that in terms of results since then, we've been pretty decent and pretty solid. I mean, it's the classic Arsene Wenger Arsenal thing, isn't it? A, a terrible defeat followed by a decent little run. And it's just a question of how long we can sustain this one for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's a busy week this week. I mean, I think the, the manager has got a bit of work on his hands. We've got a game on Thursday in the Europa League against Bate Borisov. How do you... F- how do you think he's going to approach that? I mean, my my inclination would be to rest as many of the players who played last night as possible. I don't think we can go to Bate Borisov and think that we're going to absolutely uh, turn them over with a second string team. There may be a need to bring some of them a- as reserve or as uh, players who can make an impact from the bench. But for the most part, when it comes to the starting 11, I will be looking at... Uh, as many changes as possible. Yeah, me too. I mean, if you look at the team we put out against Cologne, uh, I think I think it'll be sort of similar to that, really. Um, I mean, as Menga said, I'm, I'm going to play a team of senior players with a very young bench. But when he says senior players, I don't think he necessarily means the first team. And actually, we're in a little pattern of having midweek cup games at the moment. And it's almost like we are playing with, with two different 11s. The only issue is that we've got a couple of... A couple of injuries creeping in now. You know, Danny Welbeck's out. Um, I understand Alex Awobi's got a problem. Uh, Callum Chambers has got a problem. So we might have to field a, a few more than would be ideal. If, if in, a, in a perfect world, I'd be changing the team wholesale. Mm. I think we've got an issue with wingbacks. That's where I fall down when it comes to selecting an all different 11 from the team that played last night, for example, because Monreal should be basically our our, our reserve wingback, right? Because yeah. uh, he's a naturally left-footed player. We've brought in uh, Kolasinac and he is, uh, he's, you know, tearing it up down that left-hand side. But Monreal is so good as our, uh, in the back three, that we don't, we don't have that option. And I don't think we can play a guy who's over 30 years of age three, four, three times a week all season long. We've got to address that a little bit, I think. So we've got an issue there. We also have an issue on the right-hand side with Hector Bellerin. There is no natural replacement in the squad um, because he's obviously not going to use Matthew Debushi. Uh, Callum Chambers, perhaps a guy who could play there, is injured. So I think that this is where this uh, the changeability of our squad uh, is called into question a little bit. I think we have to maybe identify players who can come in and do a job there. I mean, I don't think it's Reese Nelson, for example, as much as uh, I think he's an exciting young talent. I don't think he's ready to, to play in those positions. So that's something he's got to think about. Yeah, I mean, Ainsley Maitland-Niles is someone he seems to be using to cover in the wing bands. I, I don't think he looks all on the left. He's shown some decent athleticism and uh, the ability to get in behind. But once he does, he looks a bit like a fish out of water over on that side. So, yeah, I mean, I suppose it was one of the consequences of selling Oxlade-Chamberlain, wasn't it? That we had a little bit less cover in those wing back areas. Um and it is a problem that needs to be solved because there's mm. not an obvious contender really. When when you look at the, I mean, it's it's, it's interesting they chose to loan out Cohen Bramall, isn't it? Because uh, he was sort of filling that role in pre-season. Yeah, he's at least a natural left-sided player, but he did look short of of first-team level. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Cohen Bramall was going to be the answer for this season anyway. We'll have to see how he gets on at Birmingham uh, and how he develops. But I don't think he was anywhere near ready to play play for Arsenal this season. Um, yeah, it will be interesting to see. But uh, those are the challenges that the manager has uh, this week. And then, of course, uh, a 12 noon kickoff on Sunday doesn't really help. I mean, that's a lot of football in six days. Monday night, Thursday night, 
basically Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, you know, the fixture, Arsene Wenger, I think, described the fixtures as a bit cruel this week. I think he's, I think he's fair. I mean, people will roll their eyes a little bit and, and maybe aren't willing to entertain the idea that, that Arsene Wenger complaining about the fixtures is something that, that we should pay attention to. But I think he's right on this occasion. When you look at the other fixtures that went on this weekend, I mean, why Arsenal-West Brom was chosen for Monday Night Football, you know, when we had these fixtures ahead of us, uh, you, you, have to, you have to question that, I think. Yeah, and look, obviously all managers are going to complain about their lot, but I don't think any other team in the Europa League had a game on Monday night and then had a game on the Thursday and and the whole continent, you know. So it is an unfortunate circumstance for us. And also it's a hell of a trip as well. It's not like we're just nipping over the channel. You know, we're going to Borisov. So uh, not ideal at all. Do you think... Do you think Meza Urza will will go, having not started last night? Yeah, probably. Probably. Mm. Um, You know, I I think the other thing that the manager will be looking at is the fact that it's Brighton on Sunday, and that's not taking Brighton for granted or anything like that. But if we were playing Manchester United or if we were playing Chelsea or Tottenham, I think he would be more inclined to rest... Uh, the first team and keep players fresh for that but I think he's got to to count on the quality in his squad to do what they need to do on Thursday but also be able to cope with some changes for Sunday as well if need be that he may need to just rotate again um, but you know I don't think there's anybody that that could or should play all three games this week uh, is it the international break after the Brighton game is that it is yeah right um, yeah well <sighs> Uh, maybe that will have a bearing on on who he picks as well, who's going away, who's going to be worked hard for their country uh, during the international break too. So, yeah, he's got plenty to think about. It'll be interesting to see what he does anyway. It will. I mean, you know, as a fan, I love watching football games. I love watching Arsenal play for the most part. So three games in seven days is a relatively exciting prospect. Mm. But uh, it is it is a pretty crazy schedule. And... How we long for a 3pm on a Saturday. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, look, uh, we're going to call it quits on uh, part one right there. We will be back with your questions and more in part two right after this. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. Uh, this is the part of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog and on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Before we get into the questions, I just want to say another thing just with regards uh, to Tony Pulis. He was, you know, obviously had every right to be angry about the penalty decision, but I think it's also fair to say that, uh, is it Craig Dawson? Craig Dawson? Yeah, it is, yeah. Craig Dawson was very lucky to escape with a red card as well. Having already been booked, he went through the back of Alexis Sanchez, slid in from behind. It's a nailed-on yellow card, and again, the referee uh, didn't do what he was supposed to do. So they can they can um, stick that one up their holes. I just wanted to make that point before we get on with the questions. That's absolutely fine, yeah. yeah. I, th- I agree with you. Okay. All right, then. <laughs> well, I'll let you go first, then. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, in which case, let's oh, let's have this one. It's Toby Lorber and on Twitter, who's at T Lorber. And he says, 
Wenger says that Alexis is 100% committed, but is he? I thought his kick-ups when 1-0 up in a close and important game suggest he is not. Yeah, a few people have mentioned that. I can't, you know, I can't remember seeing that during the game. Um, was it in the first half or second half? Or I think it was in the second half, towards the start of the second half. Um, I, I had a couple of people texting me who aren't Arsenal fans. I had, funnily enough, I had two texts last night from people saying, was Alexis trying all these tricks uh, last, se- last season in games and I sort of said well to be fair I think he was I think he was sort of doing pretty outrageous stuff quite mm. a lot of the time but they, I don't know if it's be- well we all know why it is it's because of everything that's gone on with Man City and his contract but it feels like his conduct on the field there's certainly some debate around it at the moment still isn't there yeah I think so um, I mean he did the kick the keep you ups against was it in the the game against Doncaster? He did that too, Mm -hmm. but he followed that up with a really nice uh, pass into Olivier Giroud, if I recall correctly. I I can't say... I I seem to have just completely missed that last night, despite watching the game. Um, So it didn't occur to me, or I didn't have any thoughts on it as and when it happened. I mean, look, I don't really doubt his commitment once he gets out on the field... Uh, and and the thing about him is is he's so demonstrative and so emotional that every small thing gets analysed to the nth degree. Uh, but that is just kind of the way he is and the way he always has been. When he's banging in goals, uh, he's a bit less inclined, isn't he, to, to act up. I think a lot of it comes from the frustration he might have with himself or his desire to contribute to a win, to make an impact, to score a goal, to create an assist. Uh, and when those things aren't happening for him, I think he becomes uh, a little bit frustrated. But, yeah, look, you will always question the player's um, commitment and, and everything else after what happened uh, this summer with, with Manchester City. And and to be fair, you know, I, I really don't think Alexis did an awful lot wrong during the summer. Um, no. I think... I think it was Arsenal in the end who decided that they would sell him. Um, and he was happy enough to go along with that, but we were the ones who made the decision. He always said it's up to Arsenal to decide, um, and we made the decision and then couldn't sell him. So I think, you know, if you want to criticise the player, fine, but you also have to uh, accept the fact that the club has a part to play in this as well. I think once he gets a couple of goals under his belt, uh, he'll be much happier, and uh, people won't be that fussed about things like that. Yeah, and I also think it's probably a bit revisionist to suggest that, well, last season, prior to all this Man City stuff, he was an angel. You know, it's kind yeah. of the same old Alexis, isn't it? He was he was stroppy last year. He was an individualist last year. He was selfish at times last year. I mean, that's kind of always been there. You accept that with him. He is a moaner, but he is a, a match winner. Um, and I think that's kind of the Alexis conundrum. You know, he can yeah. he, he can be the the guy who interrupts your flow as a team, but he, he'll frequently interrupt it with a goal. And I think there's a lot of scrutiny on him, absolutely inevitably. But, I, I, yeah, I think, you know, I don't think you could question that he's trying. I think the question is more about attitude, isn't it? It's about how seriously is he taking this, how invested is he? Um but I think he's pretty much the same as he ever was. It's a little bit early to say for sure, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there are clearly some issues with his form and his fitness. He's not quite there yet. But like I said, once he bangs in a few goals, he'll be much happier in himself. People will be much happier with him. And I just don't think he's the kind of character who would just phone it in. I don't think he's capable of it. Once he's out in the pitch, I think he wants to, he, he clearly wants to win all the time. He wants the players around him to, to be on his wavelength. He wants for the team to do well. You know, I think at times he might prioritize his own contribution to a win above that of the teams. But, you know, those are, those are qualities that, aren't unique to him and certainly not uh, with players who are capable of those moments of individual brilliance. That's kind of why, you know, for each moment of individual brilliance, there may be one or two where what what they're trying doesn't come off, you know? So that's the, mm-hmm. that's the balance you have to take with that. So yeah, we'll see. Let, let's, let's see where he is after a few goals. And I think everyone will be, uh, will be in a happier place. Um, 
Uh, on Facebook, Vinesh Patel says, Hi guys, do you think we're lacking speed of thought in our team? In previous years, Sesk, Pires, Bergkamp all had the ability to see things ahead of time and move the ball quickly, which made our attacking play unpredictable. Do you think this team has the same quality? That's an interesting question. Um... Perhaps not. Perhaps not. I mean, you know, the name that springs to mind immediately is Mesut Ozil in terms of someone who does see things early uh, and usually has the technical ability to follow through with that and complete those passes. You know, the imagination and the skill combined. Ozil probably that guy. Looking beyond that, I don't know how many midfielders we have that you'd say I'd like sort of to have top-class game intelligence uh, in terms of what they do on the ball. I mean, Shaka has moments, but he's been quite erratic this season, so it seems it doesn't seem right to necessarily bestow that upon him. Mm. I think if you think back to the 2008 team, you know, which had kind of uh, Rizitsky, Fabregas, Kleb, the way in which they combined was bewitching. And I don't think we're at that level, technically, at the moment. Um I think what's interesting when he talked about, you know, speed of thought rather than speed, you know, uh, uh, and Fabregas, not a player who is going to win you any races, but, you know, has such vision and awareness of what's going on that, uh, you know, that he can move the ball in a way which, which, uh, which makes us more dangerous. I mean, I think when you look at what we've done this season, there have been a number of times where I've been shouting because... The pass is there to send the man through. There was one last night where I think it was Lacazette who had the ball and Ramsey was making a run down the outside right channel. All he needed to do was slip the ball out to him and uh, he was clean through on goal. There was another one in the... Maybe it was the Chelsea game. The ball was fed into Giroud and Ramsey again was making that run down the outside. He'd gone beyond the uh, the defender, I think. Uh, had Giroud done anything other than just play a wall pass back into midfield, had he been aware of that run, just taken a touch and flicked the ball on, you know, Ramsey was clean through again. And it's not just with Ramsey. I think on the counter-attack, our decision-making is far too slow. There's not enough, maybe just not enough instinct. Maybe there isn't enough training going on on how to counter-attack. But we, we, we are capable of getting ourselves into positions where good passes and quick passes would open up defences and make us much more threatening from an attacking point of view. The problem we have is that we're not seeing those passes. It's not that we're not seeing them quickly enough. A lot of the time, we're just not seeing them at all. So I think we lack that that vision um, in the team to make us more uh, uh, more threatening um, and, and again, more unpredictable uh, because we are relatively easy to to defend against from an attacking point of view. Uh, I think Lacazette has given us a different dimension because we've now got a penalty box player and we do have some variety in the, in the attacking players that we can deploy. But I just think from a systematic point of view, we, we are relatively easy to set up against. Uh, and were we able to to feed those balls more quickly from midfield and from deep areas behind the defences, uh, then I think we would be more, much more effective. Uh, it would be another weapon in our in our arsenal, so to speak. So, yeah, I'd like to see a little more focus on that, actually, because we do have the players who can make those runs. It's about finding them. Well, do we have the players who can find them? Like, you know, is it, is it a question that we don't have those players? Or is it a question that, like you say we're not training for it. You know, it's not something that we've got particular emphasis on. Uh, so we're just not as good it is we could be. Do you think we've got the players out there who, with the potential to make those kinds of passes? Um, I mean, Jack is capable from deep, but he's got mm-hmm. to do it from deep. He's not going to be the guy who's going to do it high up the pitch because, you know, if he gets turned there, he's not getting back. Mesut Ozil, Alexis Sanchez have got that quality as well, but but often it's o- Ozil and Sanchez who are making those runs. So, you know, I do feel like there is, we talk about the need for more security in midfield and I get it and a more defensive minded player but I think there's also a need for a bit more creativity in central midfield and somebody who can um, 
who can see what's going on. But I also think it's it's the just basic awareness. Like, I don't think, for example, that it's beyond the technical qualities of Olivier Giroud if he sees Aaron Ramsey going beyond the defender outside him to play a relatively simple pass between the lines and into his path, which sends him through to the box. So I think it's more about awareness. I think it's more about uh, players being aware of what their teammates are going to do um, rather than taking the safe option. I do wonder at the moment if there's a... A w- uh, more of a willingness to be safe rather than risky because of how losing the ball is affecting us from a defensive point of view as well. Um, but I think Arsene Wenger would prefer his team to take those risks in the opposition half than not because he knows that if you can play an effective pass, it, it basically renders the opposition useless. So it'll be interesting to see if this is something that we can improve on as the season goes on. I mean, what what I'm hearing is bring back Cesc Fabregas. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> well, look, you know, never go back and all that. But, you know, if you could find a player with half his ability or half his passing ability in, in this Arsenal midfield, um, then I think we would be we would be a better team. That would be huge. I mean, I was intrigued. I don't know if you saw the guy who's turned up at Monaco, Yuri Tielemont, um, from Anderlecht was saying how he had the option to go to Arsenal this summer. He's a really excellent passer of the ball in the midfield. And he said, oh, mm. I, d- I didn't go to Arsenal because I looked at the midfielders they had and I thought I wouldn't get a game. And I said, well, you, I was thinking in my head, you didn't look very closely. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah I, there must be an awareness that we, we could do with that kind of ball playing midfielder, you know? Yeah, 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 I think so. I think so. All right, your question. My question. Okay, this is from Rob Wiskin on Facebook. And Rob says, again, a stadium of empty seats. Is this showing a lack of interest from fans? Is it because of how expensive it is? Or is it because we're on telly so much? Uh, I have a similar question here from Chris Hatcher, who's at Hatch1928, who says, how big a concern are the increasing number of empty seats at home games? And how do the club rectify this? Um, I think in... The schedule maybe plays a little bit of a part in this. Monday night football is like, bah. but if this yeah. was an Arsenal team that was absolutely humming, that was playing brilliantly, that was winning games, that was entertaining, I don't think there'd be that many empty seats in the stadium. I think we all know that there have been issues over the last number of seasons. There's been a predictability to the way that we play, a predictability to the way that we win, predictability to the way that we lose. You know, there's nothing new under the Arsenal sun at this moment in time. And I think that is that is the thing. And you add in all the other factors as well, the expense of it, uh, the fact that we are on television, the... Uh, just football in general, modern football in general um, is becoming a harder sell for people. Uh, But, you know, ultimately it boils down to how the team is playing um, and what the club have done to address some of the issues that this team has, you know, and that's why I don't want to go back to transfers and start harping on and on about transfers, but you know, during the summer, there was a chance for the club with its transfer policy and with its signings to say this is this is what we're going to do about those things. These are the issues that we have. We've all seen them. We've all seen the performances, the results, the flaws. Okay, we're addressing it. We're addressing it in a way that will uh, that will make us better, that will excite people, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a product of people being fed up, taken for mm-hmm. granted, protests maybe at ticket prices, maybe at modern football. But I think it just boils down to people having seen it all before and not being convinced that what they're going to get this season is any different from what they've got over the last four or five or ten seasons. And you can say that's people getting spoiled, and maybe it is, but that's the reality of the situation, that you can't can't have the same dinner night after night after night and enjoy it. You just don't. When, uh, when I was human 12, nature. go on. my mum was going through a bit of a tricky time, and she made chicken Kiev every day for a year for our dinner. Hang on. And let what? me tell No, hang on. <laughs> hang on. Like, uh, okay, did she actually make her own chicken kiev? Not or from scratch. These, we're talking were, shop-bought. We're talking shop-bought. Findus. Findus that sort of thing. Yeah, I think frozen. it might have been a bit better than that. But, Bird's uh, eye. I think, yeah, something like that. Chicken kiev, 
every day for a year. And I, I'll be honest, I haven't eaten it since. I don't think I could eat it, which is a shame because chicken Kiev, in theory to me, sounds like a delicious thing. Mm, I'm not convinced really by chicken Kievs. They're a bit too garlicky for me. Too mm. garlic. I don't mind a bit of garlic in a sauce, but anything that's overwhelmingly garlic just doesn't really agree with me. Um, well, imagine having that time after time after time. Well, there you go. I mean, is what's happening at Arsenal... It's a perfect analogy. It's a chicken Kiev. It's a chicken Kiev, yeah. Um, Yeah, look, I mean, that's that's it, isn't it? I mean, there are ways of getting people back on board. It boils down, absolutely, at this moment in time, the only way to to reinvigorate people is for the team to perform. And you can can say, well, you know, fans should support through thick and thin. And, you know, we get that. We all know that. But you're, you're removing human nature from this as if all fans are the same a homogenous group who should all behave and think and act the same way it's not it's not reality that's not how it works um so i think there's there's only one way and that is for the team to perform well um when the when the team is performing well and playing well and the results are good and we're scoring good goals and the games are uh exciting isn't quite the word i was going to use um but entertaining in a way. Like, the, think about how much pleasure we got from a nil-nil draw with Chelsea, simply because it showed that this group of players are capable of, A, learning something, and then, B, putting that learning into action by way of a performance, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it is about that. I think it is about engagement. I think it is about belief and excitement and I think that if Ar- if fans were looking at it thinking this is an Arsenal team that could really push on and win the league I do think that those stands would be full every single week because I know that I know it's very expensive to go but when I look at the fact that 59 over 59,000 tickets were issued or sold at least at any rate last mm. night I, I can't see that that's what's happening necessarily, that people are trying to hit the club in the pocket or, or simply not paying the money. People are buying the tickets. They're just not always turning up, you know, and I think that in some ways that's that's more distressing because it shows uh, how, how disengaged some people are becoming. Mm. And actually, I was alarmed by the... It might not matter to many people, but the Carabao Cup game, I think we recorded our lowest ever attendance at the Emirates Stadium. And I guess the slight cause for alarm there is simply that... That's a, a game where the ticket prices are cheaper and where traditionally you get a lot of younger fans in. A lot of people's first games are those games. You know, a lot of people get their introduction to Arsenal at the Emirates Stadium there and the stadium has been packed out for some of those nights. Um, and for it to not be, I think, speaks to a little bit of disillusionment around the club. And, you know, I only worry about that in terms of sort of, you know, basically getting the young folk in because that's such a good opportunity to do it. Yeah, yeah. And look, you know, to be fair to the club, they do issue the tickets at a tenner, I think, uh, mm-hmm. f- for young people to come in, which is brilliant. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's also Doncaster as well play, sure. play a part in that. And there's also the other the other thing that the, the League Cup used to be. You go, well, you know, we're going to go along. We're going to see the future of the club. We're going to see these young players come in and... Uh, and be given a chance, maybe take their opportunity to to excite us. And that has happened down the years with some of the young players. They haven't necessarily gone on to become great stars at Arsenal, but in that context, those were enjoyable nights and enjoyable moments. You know, and I don't think we've got necessarily those players at the club at this moment in time who are gonna who are gonna put bums on seats. But uh, yeah, look, it's down to the to the team, the manager, and the players to uh, to perform. And if they do, they'll get people back on side. That's what that's what happens. That's the reality as well, is that, you know, when things are going badly, there is a drop off. And when things are going well, people are more interested. That is just simply human nature. And that's the way football fans work. And that's the way that's the way it'll go. Um, slightly on that, Magnus Holmberg wants to know, why is this team not capable of repeating the performance they had against Chelsea against any given team? Um... <laughs> I don't know, the same reason that all Arsenal's teams for the past decade haven't been. Um, I have no idea, if I'm honest. I have a a theory. Oh, go on, go on then. I think expecting the team to play the same way in every game is is wrong. Right. Right? I, I don't think you can repeat the performance against Chelsea against West Brom because it's a different game. 
I think we have to accept the variables, that there is a variety in terms of how we're going to play, how the opposition are going to play, how the game is going to be refereed, uh, individual performances, uh, players on form, players off form, the circumstances of the game. Like what would have happened yesterday if we'd been, uh, uh, that penalty had been given against us and we'd been down to 10 men. Uh, you know, they're, they're, we have to accept that there's going to be variety in the way that games pan out. As much as we would like us to do X, Y, and Z in every single game, it's not going to be possible because A, maybe we're not capable of doing it on the night. B, the opposition aren't letting you do it. You know, you looked at the, did you see the thing going around about uh, before the game, the West Brom game plan? Did you see that? The West Brom game? I didn't, actually. Right, so they actually got this thing. You know, if you if you were going to stand up and give a presentation, you might have, like, a, a little sign beside you, um, perhaps with your company logo and some stuff on it, you know. But they had sure. they had, they have this sign there. It's up in the Emirates dressing room. It's a West Bromish Albion logo, and they have their, their edicts for the game are there. It says, uh, there's one, two, three, four, five... Five, six of them anyway. The first one is don't allow players and then in red capitals in behind. So they were clear about not letting uh, Arsenal get in behind them and, and they were going to sit deep. No turnovers in our half. Set plays, clean sheet, first goal, high tempo start. This was the way that West Brom set out their game yesterday. And you could see in the first half that, you know, we weren't necessarily comfortable. So it's difficult sometimes to impose your game on things. So I think when we look at a game like uh, Chelsea and say why can't we play like that in every game I, I don't think that's right the question might be why can't we play like that in every game against a big team away from home because contextually those things are more similar but you can't ex- you shouldn't expect to play the same way at Stamford Bridge as you're expected to play at home against West Brom so that's my theory it's a good theory. I'd love to know what the Arsenal equivalent of that board would say. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just a it's a giant whiteboard. Yeah, and uh, the it's got points a question are, mark. Yeah, yeah, the points are uh, win, don't yeah. lose. Ex- express yourself. <laughs> express yourself. Have fun out there. Find the inner you. Stay on your feet, brackets, if you like. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah stuff like that. Some vague stuff. But uh, yeah, look, that, that's it, I think. I think one thing that you sort of touch on that I think is a very good point is that when we analyse games, we look, there's 22 players on the field and we look incredibly closely at 11 of them. And very rarely talk about, you know, uh, you know, we as fans, we rarely say the opposition played well, played badly. It's all on us. It's all our mistakes or our brilliance. Yeah. And the reality is that that's not how football matches work at all. You know, you have to try and take a step back from it. And even if you did put in an identical performance every single week, you wouldn't get identical results. Yeah. Because that isn't how it works. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Your question. My question. Oh, oh. <laughs> this made me laugh. Jason Tate on Facebook said, in the clock end last night, during a good verse of You're Just a Shit Aston Villa, fans chanting You're Just a Shit Aston Villa, an American chap in front of me, a nice bloke called Jed from Baltimore, turned around and said, I love that song. You're just a shit-ass dildo. <laughs> <laughs> My question is, is... Tony Pulis, just a shit-ass dildo. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll I'll ask uh, Tony Pulis. Tony? (laughs) I think the answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love that, mishearing that, Charles. That's great. Yeah, isn't isn't there a great website for, like, uh, uh, misheard song lyrics? I think it's... Right, uh, yeah, yeah. Something to do with that song, Excuse Me While I Kiss the Sky, but it's, uh, you know, people hear it as Excuse Me While I Kiss This Guy. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, yeah, that is a good one. It's an image now that I want to move away from, though, if you wouldn't mind. Fair enough, yeah, yeah. I should have left it till the end. (laughs) It it is quite early in the morning. Um, All right, I think I've got another one here. Okay, this one comes from Lapan, who is... At Lapan I am. And he says, when are you guys going to call time on using that Liverpool disaster as a basis for Arsenal's issues? It was a one-off disaster. Uh, I don't, has, how long has Lapan been supporting Arsenal? 
<laughs> did he just start this season? Because as far as I'm concerned, I'm only joking, Lepin, but it, that isn't, it was not a one-off and that was what made it so awful, right? I mean, it was particularly bad, but it's not the only performance of its ilk we've seen in recent years. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. There have been a number of those uh, performances down the years uh, and that's why it, it became so frustrating and that's why the game against Chelsea was so... It was so um, enjoyable simply because uh, we addressed those issues, those issues that we've seen manifest themselves in, in plenty of games down the years. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I think it's... In the context of this season... It appears to have been a one-off, um, but you know it's about it's about producing consistently over the season. And when we go to Old Trafford, when we go to White Hart Lane, when we go to the Etihad, um, when we go even to somewhere like uh, Goodison Park, which has been a little bit tricky at times, you know we've got to show that the lesson we learned when we went to Chelsea is a lesson that remains learned and isn't just cast aside because we had that one good performance. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, what what I would say is that it is a kind of unique performance in the context of this season. You know, I know we lost at Stoke, but the performance wasn't in any way similar to the Liverpool one. We were actually quite unfortunate in that game. So I can understand his point in terms of kind of hanging too much on that one game. But it did feel so indicative of everything that was wrong with the club at that moment in time, in terms of the tactical problems, the uncertainty over the futures of certain players. Um, so, you know, I'm not I'm not over it yet, basically. And I think it'll be, it'll be a good few more wins before I am. Mm. Okay. Uh, have you got one more? Because I know you're pressed for time this morning. You've got a very important engagement. Important engagement, yes. Well, uh, let me have a look if I've got any more. I, I probably do. Ah, ah, yes, I like this. Ah, ah, ah yeah, ah, yes. Hmm, yes. Hmm, hmm. Gaz Arsenal on Twitter, Gaz underscore Arsenal, says, does the Europa League enhance our Premier League campaign by allowing us to rest the first team in midweek and helping keep the second string match fit. I think there's something to that for sure. Yeah, because when when you're in the Champions League, there's a bit more focus on it. It's a, it's a competition with a bit more weight, isn't it? Um, mm. There's there's my door. Hang on one sec. Right. So what was I saying? Oh, Champions League. Champions League versus... Uh, the, does the Europa League help our Premier League campaign by allowing us to rest the first team and keep the second string match? Yeah, yeah, I think it does. I think it does because people are a bit more dismissive of the Europa League. Um, they're not as invested in it, not as interested in it. And, uh, you know, I'd like to see us do well. I think it's a competition we should try and win, but I do understand the need to keep players fresh for the Premier League, particularly when the schedule is the way it is at this moment in time. I mean, there's there's a few weeks coming up where we've got uh, crazy weeks. I think we've got a game against Everton on Sunday uh, on a Sunday after the international break. We play Norwich. Um, oh, the Everton game. I think there's a we go to Red Star Belgrade, then we play Everton, then we've got a Norwich game in the Carabao Cup on a Tuesday. So we're playing Thursday, Sunday, Tuesday, and then the following weekend in the Premier League, you know. So it is going to require us to use the squad as much as we possibly can, the full depth of the squad as much as we can. And I think we know as well that when players play more regularly, uh, they've got their touch. They're a bit more match fit. They're a bit more a bit more match sharp. They're a bit more involved. They feel involved. You don't have that that disgruntlement in the squad. And and if someone in these games, in the Carabao Cup games, in the Europa League games, if they start showing some incredible form, then they're going to be banging down the door for a place in the the so called first team as well. The manager can't ignore that. So I think it's a good opportunity for those players. It depends how motivated those players are as well. In 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 really uh, trying to to work their way into the first team. I think what we're seeing at the moment is there seems to be more or less a 
uh, an obvious split between the two the two teams, if you like, right? We can see who's mm-hmm. in the first team and who's uh, going to be in the second team. It's how closely those uh, things uh, merge over the course of this season that will be interesting for me. Absolutely, yeah. I mean... <laughs> It's interesting, isn't it, to talk about Europa League as something that's potentially beneficial because it's really not got that reputation. I mean, do you think that the fact that you can keep the second string fit, if I gave you the choice of no European football at all, do you think that would help our Premier League campaign more? Or do you think keeping those squad players on their toes is actually a benefit that's worth having? I think having, yeah. I mean, we've seen the benefit of no European football in the second mm. half of seasons, particularly Chelsea, when they won the league, had no European football. It's impossible not to look at it as an advantage. Liverpool, I think, last season had no European football, even if they struggled to to cement a top four spot. I think it was an advantage for them. Leicester, the year that they won the league. Um, but again, what was happening was within those teams, the manager was using a small group of players because he could keep them relatively fit. And I think what we're seeing with our Premier League team at the moment is it's going to be a relatively small group of players. Um, So if he can rest those players for the most part during the week and not play them in Europe, then I think we kind of have the same advantage, plus an advantage whereby if we lose a player or two from that first team, we have players who are fit and ready and who have played rather than guys coming in from the cold. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, hopefully we will uh, reap some of the benefits of that this week. Well, hopefully, as we go to uh, Belarus mm. uh, to play Bate Borisov. So, look, um, we, we have to leave it there because you have to go on this important engagement. Can we, can, are we allowed to tell people or is it top secret or is it what? I tell you what, I probably have, I think I probably have agreed some sort of, you know, top secret agreement. What I'll say is I'm filming an advert for a product and devastatingly it is not ham on ruffles. Mm. But... It's not ham on Pringles either, so there is there is some respite. Well, that's good. That's good. You're not uh, you're not uh, totally. Uh, I've not uh, completely sold out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, look, you know, very nearly, but not completely. Anyway, it, all will be revealed soon enough when people turn on their TVs and go, "Hey, there's there's James in that ad for that delicious thing. I quite like the thing that you're doing the ad for." I have to say. health insurance. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure you're a great advertisement for that. No. Um, all right. Well, look, we will have an arsecast for you this weekend, probably Friday, because we play Thursday at uh, six o'clock in the Europa League. Um, Very strange. Very strange. Very strange. That is going to be a weird one, isn't it, I have to say. Uh, But it is what it is, and we're going to have to just get used to that. Um, So what we will do uh, for now is we will leave you um, and we'll come back uh, next week with an Arsecast Extra. Um, James, I'm going to ask you to say goodbye. Goodbye. And I will leave you with the eternal echoing screams of an angry Tony Pulis. Until the next one. Extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.